I can't remember what we said at the particular evening meeting that I was at, but I just remembered an overwhelming sense of this was right, this was true, and I wanted to be part of it. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting better acquainted with Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Dave. How did you meet me? I met you at Lancaster University, you the year above me. We were both doing theatre studies. And I can't remember the exact moment that I met you, more of the moment that I saw you. Um, I think even before I met you, you had a reputation for wearing crazy hats or something yeah, like that. Yeah, probably did. And then I think through a mutual friend, uh, Rich, I think we um, I think we probably got to know each other through that, either with a show or a party or something like that. I think so. The thing I significantly remember meeting you with was when you auditioned for a show that we took to Edinburgh eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we went off to Edinburgh and spent a lot of time during that period when we were working yeah, on that that's show. Right. Uh, that's when I sort of remember meeting you, I think. But I might have met you before that. It's probably possible, because we're in different years in yeah, the same yeah, university. Yeah. What do you do now? What do I do now? I work for a charity, a national charity that works with Christian students in universities. Um, I'm based primarily in the northwest, so I work with six universities there. Wow, okay. So, Matt, now, what I always say about you is that you're my favourite Christian. When when we were at university together, you um, did you did you run the student? Were you in charge of the student union? Of the, uh, the Christian, Christian union. union? Um, I had one year where I was president. Because I remember you going up for it and me saying to you, "You've got the non-Christian vote," <laughs> <laughs> which I was always very flattered and grateful for, Dave. You know, very very flattered. We're we're recording this at the day after our our mutual friend's wedding, mm-hmm. where you gave the what, what was it, what's it called that thing that the you address gave? the address that's right I'm not very good on no, no. and obviously it was a, a, a Christian address and I, I as I said to you yesterday I think you, you you found a very good way of talking to people who weren't necessarily Christians mm-hmm. who were sort of in, guests yeah. in God's house yeah. about why why we were there in the grounds of Christianity kind of in their terms in your terms yeah. <laughs> sorry in your terms you're an evangelical Christian though, I aren't am you? I am what does evangelical Christian mean? I guess for a lot of people it means different things. For me, I suppose it means a Christian who bases their faith on the Bible. And that means what? What does the evangelical bit mean, though? I mean, it, it, it means doesn't it? Does it mean that because that God has given you a job to try and convert other people? Is that part of it? It's it's not. I think that's always a kind of byproduct of having a personal faith. Okay. Um, the evange part of evangelical simply means good news. Okay. Um, and like most good news, if you found good news or been told good news or received good news, I think the most generous thing you can do is share that good news with others. So yeah. I think evangelical doesn't primarily mean Bible bashing. No. And hopefully the byproduct isn't that. But I think it's certainly an expression of Christianity, which takes sharing the faith is a really important part. And I think that's the interesting thing about you. I find that 
you you don't as you say to me personally anyway you don't kind of preach but knowing you and seeing the example that you give in life and the way that you talk makes me a lot more kind of predisposed to listening to your message I guess to talking to you about religion is fun (laughs) (laughs) it's not fun with some people who you know knock on my door you've always been a Christian have you or did you discover the faith no so brought up in a Christian home that's true to say both my parents are Christian and that meant I was brought up going to church and going to Sunday school but I would say it wasn't until I was about 15, 16 that I independently made a choice to be a Christian myself. I don't think you can be born a Christian. I think it's a a choice that you make. I think if you come from a Christian background, sometimes the distinctiveness of that choice becomes a little bit more blurred. Okay. Um, But I've got no question that it's it's a personal choice that people make. I don't think people just genetically kind of inherit the faith. Okay, and do you remember the moment that you made that choice? Yeah, I do. I was on um, I was on a, a kids' camp. It was a Christian kids' camp in Suffolk. I can't remember what was said at the particular evening meeting that I was at, but I just remembered an overwhelming sense of this was right, this was true, and I wanted to be part of it. So I remember talking to someone afterwards. They talked through with me my understanding and they they prayed with me and and that was it so and you pray don't you is that yeah. that's something you do and do you think that pray did you, have you seen prayer work yeah yeah i have seen prayer work i think prayer is often seen as a little bit of a kind of spiritual vending machine mm. so you you put in your kind of like prayer coins and hopefully something good comes out but primarily i think being a Christian is being in a relationship with God and therefore prayer isn't simply just a hotline to big requests it's it's keeping that relationship alive as you would expect conversations to do in any relationship do you see yourself as having a, a, a personal relationship with God then? yeah absolutely. absolutely interesting I mean how does that how does that how does that work in terms of your life? God doesn't talk back to you in words. I suppose for me, where the dialogue happens really, is, is in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I suppose his thoughts written down by people yeah. over several hundred years. Um, many of whom never met each other, spoke to each other from different cultures, societies, environments, and various different socioeconomic positions. Yeah. And that is why I think... The Bible for me is so central because that is how God speaks to me, challenges me, encourages me, nurtures me. As I read this text, which I believe is is timeless, um, I, uh, I I develop that relationship with God, and my response to that is um, is to speak to Him and talk to Him through prayer. And but I mean the the Bible stopped being written, didn't it? So it hasn't. It's not being a. It's not been a continuous dialogue. The dialogue you're having is with a text that stopped a number of years That's ago. That's right. Does that mean that there? Are, I mean, <clears throat> how do you feel about the area that I'm sure, as a Christian, you come up against a lot with secular people, mm-hmm. or, or even with some other Christians, uh, about 
homophobia or various kind of laws or mm-hmm. uh, approaches to society that yeah. seem a little bit yeah. dated perhaps in the modern yeah. modern world i mean how do you how do you square that circle do you how do you feel about that yeah i think i think there's no question it's a difficult one and i think christians take different positions on it i think for me personally coming from a, an english literature background as well as a theatre background yeah i realized that actually we shouldn't look at the the bible as as just one genre actually it's a, a book made up of many many books some of them letters yeah some of them poetry song narrative instruction a whole variety taking in a whole variety of different forms of literature and types and styles and actually part of respecting the bible is actually looking at the context mm-hmm. of of its teachings of the writing and and looking at it i suppose more holistically like that i think problems come um if you read the bible just like a, a tapas and you just pick and choose bits and pieces from wherever you want and interpret them without the framework of figuring through who wrote it why did they write it who were they originally writing to and what was going on at the time i think those are some of the questions that you responsibly have to go through if you're reading the bible otherwise i think it's some people quite rightly say you can prove anything or encourage anything or discourage anything through kind of like the pick and mix style of reading the bible so you've said that you shouldn't treat the bible as tapas but if you were to pick your favourite part of the Bible at this moment in time, what would that be? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it's a great question. Um, I really like the Gospel of John. Okay. And the reason I like the Gospel of John is it is a very personal and intimate portrayal of Jesus' life. You really get to see, I think, the humanity of the person who's at the very centre of the Christian faith. You get to listen into a whole variety of conversations with him and a whole bunch of people that he meets throughout his life. And I guess, like, this interview here is, you know, getting better acquainted um, and the opportunity to, I suppose, have an opportunity to ask questions and find out more about someone, just get a little bit more under the skin. I think, for me, the Gospel of John does that. And as I say, if Christianity is based on relationship, then the better you can know the person of God, I think the healthier that relationship's going to be. So this person who who ex- it, you believe existed, I think probably existed historically, mm. <laughs> the, the rest of it I, I don't know. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Militantly don't know, as you know. Yeah. What was Jesus' opinion in your reading of the Bible about homosexuality, I guess, because Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the areas I always find it really hard to meet with any religion on is Mm -hmm. the kind of attitude towards sexuality in general and specifically homosexuals. But, but generally I find restrictive, strict attitudes to sex and sexuality are not helpful Mm -hmm. in my opinion. My reading of it is, I mean, you know, Jesus was fine with Mary Magdalene. He, he's a, my reading of Jesus is that he would probably have been pretty 
I'm not saying he would have said, yeah, come on, let's all mm-hmm. be, be swingers, but he, he would have been mm-hmm. forgiving of human flaw. I mean, is that how you see it? Well, I think when we, when we look at the Bible, we can be quite fearful because if you see the Bible as a series of rule books, mm. you know, do this, don't do this. If you're doing this behaviour, you're in. If you're doing this behaviour, you're out. And therefore, we come to the Bible looking to measure ourselves to, would the Bible say, give me a tick? Or would the Bible say, give me a cross? If you come to it like you would come to any rule book, you know, if I was to look through probably the the highway code or the driving manual and compare it to my own driving skills, I'd probably become (laughs) pretty defensive myself. And it wouldn't be a particularly enjoyable experience. Um, But I think fundamentally that's a misunderstanding. Okay. Because again... Christianity is is not a series of rules. It's ultimately pointing people to a relationship. The thing that you see very clearly, if you look very carefully at what Jesus says, is the issue is is not primarily, have you done this or haven't you done that? The issue primarily is, you don't have a relationship with the God who made you, who's desperate to be in relationship with you. And that's the thing that needs to be solved. And so you have things where Jesus will look at people who had incredibly moral and upright lives, real figures in the community, um, people who would have been incredibly generous to local community education programmes, local charities of the time, anything like that. And Jesus goes to these people that we would applaud and give kind of like OBEs to and says to them, even though these people would have been convinced that they were in the kind of like the fast lane with God, you're wasting your time. Actually, everything you're doing is really self-love, not love for God. And therefore, when it comes to developing your relationship with God, it actually has no value. So, unless I accept Jesus into my heart, I'm going to hell. Is that right? I suppose if you wanted to summarise it simplistic, you know, in that form, I guess you could say that is the teaching of the Bible. You'd have to then unpick well, what does it mean to accept Jesus into your heart? And what is the Bible's concept of hell? Because obviously both of those two things mean... Very complicated. They yeah. mean a whole variety of things depending on it, you know, your background, your experience, the literature that you've read, even the TV programmes that you, know, you watch. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing I think is, is interesting about, about that, though, I always think, well, I get very frustrated with the you're going to hell attitude in religions but then when I think about it and I think if someone I loved or someone even someone I didn't love just someone I Mm -hmm. I, I met if I thought they were going to go to hell and I could stop them from doing that then surely morally I would have to try and stop them from doing that just as if I saw a five-year-old tottering towards the top of a a staircase I would pick them up non-believers get very annoyed with with, yeah. with people trying to convert them when actually if they put themselves in the, the shoes of the converters, mm. the converters may be doing it out of love and out of yeah. someone a belief that they're trying to help people and save people. Well, absolutely. So I might go down my local high street on a Saturday and there might be a group of, of people with sandwich boards, you know, with highly provocative statements shouting down loudspeakers about if you don't turn your burn or something like that. I mean, that's probably not a very helpful caricature, but you kind of get the, the point. People just 
avoid them, they're annoyed by them, they kind of like it really gets people's hackles up. If they think, well, you know, why don't people just keep that opinion to themselves if that's what they think? Problem is, even if you disagree, and often I would say actually that's probably not the most helpful way to communicate something. Yeah, they need some PR help. Yeah. Actually, if their intention is we genuinely believe people are in danger and therefore we do feel that we have a moral obligation to tell people, then I think you have to appreciate that and value that. Just as you said with your own illustration, just because the person who's in danger doesn't want to hear the message doesn't mean to say that you go, oh, well, then I won't bother telling them that they're in trouble. You know, that would never work in any, in any family, in any relationship, in any kind of professional environment. You tell people important information and you just give them the responsibility to deal with it when they've got it. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's like how you should bring up children is give them the opportunity to make decisions. And before they're able to make decisions, you have to make the decisions. But you you hand over that authority as soon as you can. I don't really want to make a league table of it. But the most Christian way to be is to give people the options and then stand back and not push them too hard. Yeah. Because that's that that I'm comfortable with that. That's why I enjoy. Yeah, no, I, I I would I would say that's true. <laughs> if the whole like, if gospel itself means good news, then then you share the news, and people either choose to believe it or not, act on it or not. It's it's their choice. It's their their responsibility. And that's what gospel means. Good yeah. news. That's nice. Um. So I th- I think again this is part of the problem. Even Christians, I think, fall into a terrible trap of seeing that Christianity is simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. Now, if you see Christianity as that, you will never see being a Christian as ultimately being in a relationship with God. Ultimately, what you'll see is, there's something I want from God, which might be this idea of heaven, whatever that is, and you look to pursue that. You're not interested in the God who gives it to you, you're just interested in his gifts. It'd be like a child who has no interest in the parent, but just delights in what the parent has to give them. And I think that's that's a very worrying view of Christianity, and I would say a very counter view to the Christianity that you'll find explained in the Bible. And so for you, a relationship with God is a personal one. Mm. Is it, is it more important than your earthly relationships? More important than my earthly relationships? I mean, you know, God or your wife, he's more important. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would agree with you in the sense of, actually, my relationship with God yeah. is my priority relationship. However... Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, and this was, I guess, the heartbeat of what I was trying to say at the wedding yesterday, my relationship with God, I suppose, motivates, inspires the quality of my relationship with my wife. So, for example, I think it's fair to say, if you want to know how I'm doing in my relationship with God, look at my relationships with other people. Okay. If, if those yeah, relationships, that's what you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If those relationships aren't good then you could probably fairly go, actually, Matt, how's things going with the Lord? With an expectation, I would say to you, not very good. Because, again, at the heart of what the good news of Christianity is, is God has loved me so generously and so incredibly, more than I could ever deserve, 
that when I realise what he's done for me so freely, actually I want to reflect that in the relationships I have with others. So a good relationship with God means that you're going to have you're going to be better at having relationships in general. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I, mean it, I, I, I guess that's kind of similar to an element of what this kind of project that I'm doing, this Getting Better Acquainted, is about. It's trying to find, find ways, find models to be a better person to people mm. I know and to be more content with myself. So maybe what I'm looking for is God. Maybe I'll have to have a think about that. I don't think it is, listeners. <laughs> but but it might be. And uh, I'm certainly open to the idea that that finding something better than myself may help me out a little and it, bit. And it's, it's a great quest. And I think the question mark that all of us have is how do we change? So I meet, most of the people I meet have great ideals and kind of like have a great vision for the world, their communities, their relationships that we all nod our heads at and go, that sounds amazing and fantastic. And I wish I could live up to my own standards and expectations or desires of, you know, what I think my life should be like. Yeah. But we all know the disappointment, you know, with ourselves and the disappointment with others yeah. that our lives often seem so far away from how we would love them to be. And um, we get very, very frustrated with ourselves and very, very frustrated with others. So the question is not necessarily what would it be like. It's, well, how do we get there? How do we change? Yeah. Which I guess is what, I suppose, the heart of some of the questions that you're asking over yeah. the course of your podcast. Well, that's, I seem to, in some ways, every conversation I have, I'm really saying, teach me how to be better <laughs> at being a human being. Everybody has some answers mm-hmm. and everybody has a partial answer. There is another option that you're then yeah. supplied with but you don't know which of these many options yeah. are the right option because like you say they all seem very sensible but they can't all exist at the same time yeah, yeah. all of these different possibilities for the world can't yeah. exist at the same time you know well the thing that i find very frustrating the thing that i think i've learned particularly over the last few years is that you cannot be a better person through just summoning up the effort within your own heart and trying harder. But that's what I'm trying to do, so I can't do that. I don't think it works. Okay. I think, um, so for example, in Christianity, if you treat the Bible like a rule book of things that if I do this stuff, I'll be a better person, you'll only end up being highly resentful and disappointed with yourself, the Bible and God. Because it will, if you read it like that, it will promise much and deliver, I think. Possibly nothing. So what can you do? I mean, what what can? How can you achieve? How can you be a, a better person? How 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 do you achieve that? Do you think? Well, I think first and foremost in Christianity, yeah. you give up trying. Okay. So in Christianity, God doesn't accept me because I've reached some form of standard of behaviour. God doesn't love me any more because I'm more moral than my neighbour. God doesn't delight in me any more because I'm nicer than the person next to me. Actually, I suppose Christianity is an acceptance that I'm broken in so many areas. I'm messy 
in so many areas that I, I, I'm happy to talk about, but in a whole bunch more that I would, I would hate to talk about. Yeah, that's, I think we all have that. Um, <laughs> Christianity, I suppose, allows me to talk about openly the fear that people might discover that I'm a fraud. And the things that I try and hide from people, I can admit and say, actually, I'm not the person you think I am. And it allows you to stop and be yourself. Because if God accepts you, not on the case of your merit, but just because you are who you are and he made you and he loves you and he accepts you and he loves you and you cannot improve upon that love regardless of how your behaviour or your rule keeping changes, regardless of that, then you can just relax, I think. Be yourself. Enjoy that relationship that you have with God and stop pretending. I'm pretty down with admitting flaws. Uh, I'm, that's a lot of what I've been learning recently is to mm. be even more honest with myself mm. about how I am yeah. and even more honest with the people around me. I'm not sure if everyone's enjoying this new honesty thing, but uh, <laughs> it's a phase I'm going through regardless. So I'm down with that. I'm down yeah. with admitting, like I can certainly admit that I'm a yeah. fraud and a hypocrite and yeah. all of these things. So I got that down. But I can't relax into it because I don't want to be mm-hmm. a flawed. Like I don't mind being flawed, I wanna, but I just want to reduce those flaws. I can accept these are traits, yeah. but I don't want them to be actions. I want to try and find a way of containing these behaviour traits so I can be a, a, a more pleasant person for the people around me and for myself and, and relax. That so will what, help me what's, relax. what's your motivation for change? Is it because you don't like who you are or you think you'd benefit other people by being nicer? I don't like who I am and I think I will benefit other people by being nicer. I guess it comes from a selfish, I want to like myself mm-hmm. and it also comes from a less selfish, and I guess you have to be honest about your strengths as well. I think there is a less selfish motivation where I just think, God, I must be a really hard person to live with for my partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I am not always a great... I think I've, I've got some strengths as a friend. Yeah. I'm loyal and blah, 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 and certain things. But I can also be a real pain mm-hmm. uh, as a friend. And as a social person, like, I don't think I'm always the best person to introduce to other friends and stuff like that. And so I want to find a way of being less of a burden on other people. So I've got to the acceptance of the flaws, but I haven't got to a point where I can relax because I'm trying to reduce those flaws. You're saying I should just go, well, I'm flawed. I mean, where, where do you go from there? You can't, it's, it's not enough to say, because I think it's quite annoying for people, for me to be self-aware. So it's very annoying for me to, for example, shout at someone mm-hmm. and then afterwards say, I'm very sorry, I know I'm the kind of person who irrationally shouts at people, yeah. unless I'm trying to change that. Mm-hmm. So how, how does one change that? I mean, do you think, because you're saying you, you can accept your flaws. Mm-hmm. Can't. Does I'm not mean... I'm not comfortable with them. Yeah. But I can admit to them because I know that my primary relationship, that relationship with God, my flaws won't affect the way that he loves me. Is now that security and that unconditional acceptance even though I don't deserve it. Right. 
I suppose that recognition of this unconditional and generous undeserved love that leads me to change see I get that I get that but not from God really that's how I get that from Jen really I mean I always think of her as being like you say I get unconditional unreserved love even though I don't deserve it Mm -hmm. from her hopefully that's going to lead me to change maybe I'll step it up to God someday maybe you'll be lucky (laughs) maybe that'll help help me to to reduce these character traits I'm not sure your biggest kind of concern it sounds to me about yourself and I think I think you've talked about this quite regularly to me over the years every time I've seen you as as you know I'm I'm, I'm not a small talk kind of guy mm. <laughs> so we always end debate. up getting into this debate. stuff is that you're a fraud is that that's the thing that you always use the word fraud like you were using then mm. why do you think you are a fraud well I think it's one of the things that theatre enables you to do and I've been I suppose involved in it not so much now but certainly through my education and through the time that we knew each other at Lancaster and even after that and you I think you always use your theatre maybe this is why you think you're a fraud I think you you always use your sense of theatre you um your delivery is very measured always you're very charismatic is that what you're saying is the, the thing you're afraid is fraud? Well, theatre gives you the tools to hide. Now, I think that's okay because it means that I can stand up in front of all those people yesterday and deliver a talk even though I was incredibly nervous. That's right, because you said you were nervous but you seemed stone-cold confident. Like, I was really pleased to hear that you were insecure about it because it's the kind of thing where you go, I'll never be that confident when you see it. But you were scared. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I also know from from performances, both participating and observing them, if the performer is nervous and it's not actually part of the piece, mm. actually, as an audience member, it's a distraction. It puts, unless the performer's comfortable on stage, everyone's on edge. You can feel it in the audience. Yeah. You can feel the the tension, the anxiety. People aren't relaxed in. They're all leaning forward and not in a good, tense way. You can use that like... if you're the right kind of performer. Certain singers, certain comedians mm. will use that awkwardness. Yeah. But it doesn't work doing, you know, Hamlet. No, you've, you've <laughs> got, if you, you use know. it as a device very purposefully, then yeah. I think it's great. But if... You know, audiences generally aren't stupid. No. They know when when you're genuinely kind of like scrabbling for your line <laughs> and, and when you're not. I think, you know, you've got to give them credit on that. I think part of the thing I love about theatre is that it's that continual live dialogue between the performers and the audience. It's always a two-way communication on there. And I think theatre skills gives you the ability to... I suppose, to hide the bits that you don't want other people to see. I wish it had given me those skills. <laughs> I always find that I'm not very good at hiding those things. My, my, my performance strengths... Actually, I'm all right on stage. I think it put me on stage and I'll be much more confident yeah. than I am in a, in, a, in, a, in a party. Whereas you're very good in, on stage and in a party. Do you, think that you're, <laughs> do, do you think that you're always performing a little bit then? Is that your fear? Um, I think it's always something I have to be aware of because I really value genuine 
relationships, genuine conversation, people not pretending and people being able to feel comfortable to be open and honest. And if I'm expecting that of others, I have to model that myself. You know, I'm very aware that if you want people to open up more than small talk, you probably have to be the first person to open up. Yeah, that's, I mean, through doing these conversations, I've formally learned what I guess everyone instinctively learns. If I want my guests to talk about themselves, the best way to do that is to match them with yeah. experiences. It's finding a balance to not yeah. not overload them with my experiences. I have to find that. But. Yeah, I know. I think that's true. I think if, say, with a podcast like this, um, your success in really getting your people to talk very openly and honestly and vulnerably will be partly dependent on um, how well you create a safe space for that mm. conversation to happen in. That's right. I mean, there, there are two different kinds of ways you can interview, I think. Uh, and I'm certainly interested in the safe space form rather than the Paxman confrontational. School. Yeah, You had a theatre background, performance background, yeah. as you've, we've been talking about. When did you first realise that you were interested in theatre? You know, I have no idea... Actually, in, I was in a nativity play at school. I was given the main role and refused to take it. You were given what? The nativity play's main role is Joseph? Well, it or was, Jesus. A, it was one of those Jesus. kind of bizarre nativity things, amalgamations with a whole bunch of other stories and things like that. So who would have you been? Some stable boy. Oh, so you're like the metaphor, like, yeah, seeing it yeah. from... That's right. That's okay, right. so like That's another right. way into the story yeah. is through this boy. That makes sense as well. It's nice to see someone that you can relate to for <laughs> children to go, I could have been that boy and yeah. now I can experience yeah, the story through that. So you refused to be that. Yeah, and I think, I think I was generally quite a shy child. So thinking back over having done a whole variety of theatre stuff, I'm quite surprised. <laughs> but I had a very good drama teacher at uh, high school um, and and I'm, I'm very grateful for the encouragement and the passion that was given to me uh, through them I was involved a lot through sixth form with Suffolk Youth Theatre which was a great place to cut your teeth you know as a young person in an environment where the standards were phenomenally high and the expectations were kind of like, I suppose, gold standard. It was a great place to learn the discipline. Where the was craft. that then, the youth the, the theatre? Where, where, whereabouts? So where? based in Ipswich. In Ipswich. Yeah, based okay. in Ipswich. Okay. And I think that was probably that training, that experience, of that level of theatre, probably like the foundations for the stuff that I went on to do. And you got the kind of the bug for theatre you, you, you like, the performance thing. Yeah, I do. And yet, it seems to me that you've chosen, at the moment, you've sort of got faith and you've got performance. And there's the areas they cross over, like yesterday, where you can utilise your performance skills for your faith. But then there's the other side of theatre that is not really faith related, like the stuff that we did together, the stuff, some of the stuff I saw you do at uni. Do you think there's a conflict there? I don't. And the reason I don't think there's a conflict there is I think, I suppose the generosity of of God 
is he gives his his creations the opportunity to explore and the opportunity to make sense of life. So if you were to look at the narratives at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, what you basically see is is God giving man the the opportunity and the job, you know, the very work of making sense of this new creation. So what is Adam? He's the first biologist. He's the first artist creating names for animals based on what they're like. He's the first lyricist. He's the first writer. Music, art, creation, I think all comes out of this this human need and desire to make sense of the world we live in. So when I'm making theatre with you, I'm involved in a devising process that is taking an issue and trying to explore it, trying to make sense of it, not going into it with an idea of what it's going to finish like, but with a genuine openness to see where this journey is going to take us. I think that's incredibly biblical and incredibly, I suppose, life-affirming. And that's what I always loved about theatre was the opportunity to make sense of of our world and our lives. And you think that, and that's one of the things I like about your faith, actually, that you're, it's very compatible with with inquiry. I think yesterday you said something about you, you can't put your faith in a box or something like that, mm. that if you close the door, that's where it can become dangerous. You've always mm. got to challenge and reassess and reevaluate. And that's, that's why I, I think... I find it very healthy. My weird attitude to faith is if I think it's useful to the world, I'm for it. If I think it's against the world, I'm against it. I always am very jealous of you guys just having an answer. So I'm always happy to get what I can with these things. And we don't see each other very often. You're uh, up in Liverpool, I'm down in London. This was a good opportunity, but it turns out that you are supposed to be packing a car. It is. It is. <laughs> I have to go. And so uh, we, we we had a, a, a pause while some people came in and told us that Matt's supposed to be packing a car. <laughs> and so Matt needs to, to, to finish early. But I think it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you anyway, Matt. Well, it's uh, a pleasure catching up with you, though. Yeah, it's been great. And maybe, you know, maybe next time we're in the same part of the world, Absolutely. I may still be doing this project and we may get the full hour. But I think it's been a very satisfying interesting 40 minutes uh, and so many things that I didn't get to for so you'll have to for now be defined by faith in theatre uh, <laughs> can't get into anything else and just before we finish recording is there anything you want to plug or promote? Nothing that I can think of off the top of my head I guess we've been, pl- we've been plugging Christianity we in have its been, own way fantastic, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Um, good boy to the audience. Good bo- goodbye. You said good boy. <laughs> good boy. Yeah, good boy. Goodbye. goodbye. I'm picking up the accent, maybe. It's good, yeah, maybe. Fantastic. <laughs> goodbye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. The... Would he... What, what, would, what do you think... Like, So, do you think he would have... Well, 